In this episode of One to One, I catch up with Rob Asimakopoulos, multi-sector CMO and principal Silver Scion Inc. We discuss why CX is the ultimate marketing tool and how business leaders can consolidate the two functions. Really excited to have Rob on on this this podcast, CMO of a variety of awesome companies in Canada across GM, Canadian Football League, and most recently CIBC. You know, you've worked with some of these top brands. And your impressive portfolio speaks volumes about your wealth of experience in marketing and branding. Tell us more about your career trajectory and and what led to this field. Thanks, Scott. Uh, well, I mean, uh, my career trajectory was, it sort of was a circuitous one in many ways. I started off as a financial analyst, uh, but sort of followed my, my interest in marketing into marketing, uh, where I'd say I had one of my best experiences professionally at Procter & Gamble, both in, in uh in Canada and the United States and, and, and the rest of the world. Um, you know, from there I, I went on to the beer business, but, uh, shortly after that, um, you know, I, I left sort of consumer packaged goods to pursue, uh, areas that, you know, I was a bit more interested in, particularly when it came to services and experiences and things like that. Um, you know, notwithstanding the fact that automotive is a, is a, is a product, a lot of how you experience an automobile is through the experiences around it, whether it be what, you know, how you experience the vehicle, how you experience the service, the purchase and everything else, uh, ultimately to a pure service uh, role at the bank. And, uh, you know, joining a large Canadian bank was one of the most rewarding uh, experiences I'd had. And certainly was a place where I, I really got to feel what it was like to try to, um, uh, tackle the challenge of building a great customer experience at scale. And you worked for the Canadian Football League, which I'm a huge football fan. Thought that was one of the coolest roles you've had uh, within your resume. Not probably as impressive for others, but I think it's a pretty cool uh, role helping yeah. build out that brand over the last number of years. Yeah, it was very cool because, you know, a lot of the experiences, certainly uh, if you just allow the, the on-field product to, you know, handle the experience, you miss out on so many opportunities to strengthen relationships with your fans. And so... Uh, for us there, uh, you know, the advent of digital media was exploding at the time I was at the CFL. And so we took a lot of opportunities to build great fan relationships using uh, all different media channels, different editorial strategies, social media, but also experiencing the product through our licensed merchandise. So um, there are a lot of great ways to make people feel really great about um, being part of your brand. And one of the things that sports taught me uh, that, that I don't think I would have learned anywhere else is how you can elicit a great feeling uh, among your your customers or your fans, as the case may be, through a variety of different and creative means. That's cool. And that's a great segue. Uh, in your own words, what is customer experience? In my own words, it's basically how people feel when they buy something from someone. Uh, and, and I chose those words carefully because it's how you feel. I suppose, um, you know, I first learned about customer experience through my parents' restaurant, a very small place in rural Ontario, which, you know, the food was good, if not unspectacular, but what made them, um, what gave them a, a good, uh, consistent business was very uh, simple, uh, simple proprietors making simple food for a simple community. Um, they helped people feel really good about themselves and about, you know, uh, just, you know, how they felt about being part of the family that my parents created through their restaurant. It really was about a feeling. Um, you know, a customer experience is supposed to elicit an emotion. 
uh, among among your clients and customers. And you know there are a lot of different ways to measure that. You know things like JD Power uh, measures very practically how a product performs or how well a service is delivered. But then you've got all these other means like you know NPS surveys and things like that, which are trying to get at how people feel. And uh, you know the emotional response is an elusive one. It's a, it's a very difficult one to measure. It's as difficult, if not more so, to actually elicit in people. So uh, anyone who talks customer experience um, can't get too wrapped up in the task. They have to get they have to start to get a sense for what impressions they leave on people. So for me, it's how you make people feel about you and your product when they're buying it. It's interesting when you look at your you know last three roles of of GM, the CFL, and CIBC three very distinct paths to that, you know, customer engagement, driving that customer experience. That's a great summary of, of what your definition of CX is. And so when you couple that with, with marketing, what's your take on, on marketing's role in aligning the brand, the customer experience, as well as the employee experience? Well, marketing should be obsessed with and capturing the consumer's mindset and the emotional state. Understand really what makes them tick what are their biases, their preferences, their desires? Now, marketing, uh, depending on the organization, can often spend a lot of that time mapping emotions uh, when it comes to a very specific task, like communicating to people and putting an ad or a communication together or in building a product or a value proposition. But in, a, in, in what is a burgeoning service economy and a higher expectation that you not only transact the product, but people need to experience it really well, marketing has to take that knowledge and apply it to helping craft and design experiences. It can be in a product or service, right? You know, um, it, it, it didn't used to be as important to, you know, to you know, design how a product was experienced through its packaging, for example. How does a package feel when you carry it, when you open it, when you pull it off a shelf or when you receive it at home? That's part of the experience. Uh, Marketing is supposed to help service design, how and when to engage people, the tone you use, uh, but helping them communicate to people, understanding what people's channel preferences are and helping design uh, engagements in those channels. And, you know, not just crafting the messaging, but crafting how it's delivered to people in those channels. So marketing has got to take its, its understanding of the consumer and assert it to other aspects of the organization that ultimately reach the consumer and, or the client and, and help them do that as well. That's a, that's a great answer. And in terms of marketing being focused solely on the customer journey um, or, you know, the, the front line being focused on a specific portion of, of that customer interaction, you know, how do you, how do you bring that all together? So, you know, marketing effort is solely concentrated on the customer journey, resulting in a fragmented approach, sometimes inconsistent execution and reduced impact. How can organizations break down that, that traditional silo mentality, create alignment between the front line, between marketing uh, care, et cetera, to, to ensure that business objectives, strategy, tech, CX, and branding is all aligned? Well, I, first of all, I think if you don't own critical parts of the journey, it's very difficult to come in from the outside uh, to a product owner or a channel owner and influence them. It can be difficult. You run into territorialism uh, or you run into a negotiation of you know what's the right way to do things. And so I believe customer experience should be a central mandate of any product or channel owner. In fact, um, in in some cases, if you look at if you look at some organizations, they don't actually measure their channel owners on hard financials. Some of them actually measure them on 
client or customer experience. Uh, marketing should be recruited in to be part of that solution to help craft the perfect journey and channel uh, or product strategy, but otherwise asserting themselves from outside of it to people who own critical parts of the journey can be very difficult and transactional. So I think organizations have to ask themselves, what are you, uh, uh, what burden are you placing on many of your different business owners? And are you taking essential parts, essential things they should be measured with and making it someone else's problem? Because the people who don't own the product or don't own the channel are measured against client experience. You're asking for, you're asking for a lot of transactional, um, uh, you know, inefficiency in the organization. How was that applied when you're at the CFL? So obviously that's a very high touch, you know, fan-based uh, organization. How did you adhere to this to drive that CX across the different functions of the, of the organization? Great question. So in a league, in a sports league, um, you know, the league office sort of runs a lot of, uh, you know, championship games and playoff games and things like that. But the daily fan experience uh, let's say the driveway to driveway experience is kind of owned by the teams. So each team is charged with building a fan experience unique to them, but also in keeping with the overall league's essence, if you will. So, you know, uh, marketing can, can support and help. But at the end of the day, if a team wants to do things a certain way, you know, if they, a team, let's say a team wants to have a family zone because they really believe it's a, a great way for parents and children to experience a game, maybe outside the confines of a, maybe a more boisterous fan base. Um, you know, teams can, can do that. Marketing can suggest it. Teams are ultimately, it's up to their discretion to do it. So there's a great example of where if the marketing organization and the teams aren't working in close collaboration, you have marketing asserting a point of view and the team saying, well, I'm going to do things my way or I don't see the value of that or it's expensive or whatever. Uh, so leagues, particularly marketing organizations and leagues have to be very convincing and you have to get, you know, collective, a sort of a collective view of what success looks like. And that can be challenging. Uh, when it comes to their league remit, marketers can do a lot. Uh, they can engage fans using uh, you know, the digital and, and, and multimedia tools that they have. So using things like editorials, using things like video, highlight reels, that kind of thing, direct to consumer uh, through, through social, those kinds of ways can be a great way to build a great experience. But experiences transcend the live, the live game. They can also be when the game's not happening. What's my experience then? What's my experience buying a, an article of licensed merchandise? Did it get there quickly? Was it in good good you know, was in good repair and all that other stuff. So it's a very complex environment um, where you can where you can double down on where you own it. You can really double down on it. So as a as a league office marketer, you can really do a lot. Um, and subject to whether or not you have great relationships with the teams, you can also do a lot with the teams. But again, it's they they really own that that you know in stadium experience. The CFL has done a really good job in in very specific markets to really drive that fan that fan engagement. Uh, which could segue to the next question. You know, in your opinion, what are some strategies a company can implement to become a customer-centric org, and and do what's best for the customers as as the way to drive business growth? Well, I think the first thing you do is you have to measure. You have to get a good, reliable, accurate metric of of your customer experience of how people feel about you, and hold people accountable to them who can influence that metric. Um, I've seen some organizations where customer experience is a silo unto itself. 
and it's always knocking on people's doors trying to influence them to improve the experience. So those who are actually delivering the experience should be held accountable to the metrics. I think sales, measuring sales is not enough. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, some organizations like Apple in their stores incentivize their stores by customer experience, not by financials. It doesn't mean they don't measure the financials. It means that they incentivize customer experience because they're sophisticated enough to know that customer experience is the gateway to more sales. I think hard financial metrics should be held more centrally. Uh, while at the outermost customer facing nodes of an organization or an experience or whatever, the delivery Uh, Those who are responsible for the delivery experience have to be the primary owners of customer experience. So if that's one thing organizations can do to improve that, it is to make those those who deliver it accountable for that metric. That's that's interesting. And I think it's, you know, CX is is critical for any business, whether it's it's auto, whether it's telco, whether it's banking or even, you know, the CFL. You use an example of in the auto industry. There's a very low probability that that customer is going to come back to the same dealership. Um, or, you know, my experience in telco, the more you're engaging with the customer, and if you have a really awesome experience right out of the gates, the higher likelihood they're going to come back and buy that that residential service, that TV, that connected home solution. What's the one thing in your career that you're most proud of, of driving that CX and that that increase in, you know, that one metric of how do you drive more from your customers? I suppose there are a few. I'd say uh, one of the things I was most proud of is actually building an onboarding program in uh, at the bank uh, when I was there. Um, you know, onboarding a new relationship, particularly when the products are complicated, complex, expensive, it can be the most delicate part of the relationship. Uh, you know, it's funny. You know, when I was in in you know when I worked in restaurants. Uh, growing up, you know, we had this this sort of edict which said, don't piss them off on the way in the door. Don't piss them off on the way out the door. That's awesome. Those are critical moments in your customer experience. So we found in banking, onboarding can often be the most delicate part of the relationship. It's the difference between a happy, lucrative customer relationship for a lifetime or kind of a temporary in and out thing. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we had some great, made some great strides improving the experience for customers in, in, uh, automotive, uh, by enhancing the service experience and the sales experience. And one of the things was transparency, whether it's automotive or even banking, they can be complex and technical and the people on the selling side can sometimes be ill-equipped to explain things and you can't blame them because they have a lot to think about. There's a lot of technical stuff to know. Uh, at the same time, customers can tend to be intimidated by technicalities, fee structures, aspects of the service and product. So you have to help people become gradually uh, accustomed to products and services that you're offering them. You got to speak to them in plain language. You have to unfold aspects of the product and service over time using multiple forms of media, uh, multiple channels. And when you do that, you accomplish the following three things. The first thing you accomplish is trust. Okay. Um, you know, banks can often erode trust with confusing language and tactics. And transparency is the single biggest way to earn people's trust. Automotive is the same way. Uh, they're complex devices that you're buying, uh, and often they're they're underpinned by complex, uh, you know, financial structures, leasing or financial agreements. So tr- transparency leads directly to trust. The second thing you'll accomplish is profitability. 
When you have a, a relationship with a fee structure and people are surprised by the fees, they immediately reject them and they demand refunds and they tie up your phones. Not only is that a costly customer, but it's a customer that in the future isn't a profitable one. So when people understand, really understand the relationship, they don't have a problem paying with paying fees uh, in any context when they understand it. They have a problem paying fees that they didn't think they were supposed to be paying. Uh, so you won't be rebating fees. You won't be tying up your calls, your, your call centers, if people understand. So that leads to a more profitable relationship. And then the third is, you know, long-term profitability through retention. People will stay and people will buy more when they're happy. Uh, and that's, that's just a scientifically proven fact. It's becoming easier and easier to untangle relationships, whether it's a you know, banking relationship, an autom- automotive relationship, a subscription. So it's more than important than ever to keep customers so that you spend, um, you know, that you spend so much money and time acquiring. It's important you keep them. Um, you know, one of the things that's happening in a friction, a frictionless uh, technology based world, it's becoming frictionless to start and end relationships as well. Uh, relationships uh, can be the glue to a long-term profitable franchise if the experience is great. And so people really have to work on making people feel good about being with you. And so those are some of the strategies you can employ um, to build a good experience that pays off later. And I think that goes across. I know you're you're implying more towards the banking industry or financial services. This This applies across a lot of verticals. I think, you know, my personal experience from banking, going through mortgages like everybody is, they're trying to refinance because the rates are so great. Very little interaction from my current bank, even though there's very clear signs of me probably churning out that mortgage over the next uh, next couple months. And it's, you know, with that ongoing dialogue and interaction, chances are I probably would have stayed with, with the bank I'm with. And that's, I think that's primary kind of objective one on retention. Then on trust side and profitability, it was interesting you talked about the fees and the anger that people have around these unknown fees that just pop up. I love your story that you told me uh, before around, you know, simplifying that complex of this really crazy complex bank plan and really going back to what is the customer looking for and really zeroing in on that. doesn't matter how it works in the background. I think that applies to a company like Statflow, a telco, a bank, et cetera, that it doesn't really matter how it works in the background. It's more around what value is it delivering for the customer and can you easily explain that to the customer on their terms and in their language. Yeah, I tell you, technical speak is one of the, it's one of the most, um, it's one of those hidden pitfalls in a customer relationship. Uh, And it happens on both sides of the desk. You know, the seller um, at times may not be well prepared to explain some of the technical concepts to the customer for whatever reason. They either haven't trained up on it or they're brand new to the job. And the customer thinks you're kind of supposed to know this. Customer doesn't want to look stupid. So they'll hear five or six acronyms or things they don't understand and then they'll walk away. And so what they don't realize sometimes is they just agreed to something. The person selling it thinks, well, we're good. I think, you know, they nodded. Uh, So building a great customer experience is also actually you have to, yeah, you kind of have to, you know, peel a layer into the customer relationship to actually scrutinize your own self, your own service and products. Do they really understand that? Are we really this good uh, at explaining things? Because um, you might often be surprised. My wife's in finance and she explains her financial models and goes in one ear and out the other on a very regular basis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so 
kind of switching gears a little bit, you know, you think of that customer experience and simplifying the complex. In today's hyper-connected world, you know, there's there's a lot of outdated customer experiences that are losing out to innovative innovative initiatives that combine that 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 awesome technology with that, you know, focus on humanizing those interactions. What CX strategies can retail banks specifically implement to differentiate their services and drive greater customer satisfaction and loyalty? No, you know, I, I would say that uh, these are universal. Certainly, they would be great for retail banks. But what I would share is is it's universally applicable, I think, beyond banks. And the first is use customer preferred channels to communicate to people. You know, people feel really good if they're, you know, today especially communicating in ways they want to. If they want an email, send them an email. If they want to talk on the phone, then light up a light up a phone. Uh, but, you know, in banking, especially mobile is growing very quickly. You can do a lot of banking on your mobile phone and is fast becoming the customer's preferred channel for transacting in banking. So uh, that's where the service experience needs to migrate and migrate quickly, particularly uh, when it comes to retail banking or, uh, in fact, any other uh, industry where there's a lot at stake, a high involvement industry, because the mobile channel is very responsive. It's responsive and it's intimate. And when something is really important to people, they want communication to land on their phone quickly. Um, and so that that's really important. So I think they really have to start migrating service levels or service uh, functions to mobile. Sorry, I was just going to pop into that. I think what's interesting is we were talking about this the other day. You see a, a phone call coming in. You don't recognize the number. Chances are you're going to ignore it. And it's going to go straight to voicemail. I think you tie into the mobile piece of, you know, when we're talking to customers or prospects, the need for customers to want and the desire that it's like 90 plus percent of customers want that two-way interaction via text. And you think of the the read rate and some of the stats that a lot of the large organizations look at around, you know, response rate and customer engagement rate. When you send something via text, it is that local personal interaction, but it's also a high read rate of ninety plus percent. So it's a it is a a much stronger way to, to interact with those customers out of the gates, and then potentially follow up with that phone call once a customer re- recognizes the number. Yeah, I mean, mobile mobile, I'll, you know, communicating on text is more than double the uh the contact rate of emails emails that is you know best in class email open rates are just you know 40 percent or just north of that so on text it's more than double that so yet you can't you can't give them an experience unless you reach them and the best way to reach them today is sms and mobile you know the the other thing i would say about um you know uh, a, a good solid cx strategy is is uh dress rehearse everything before it makes its way uh, to the customer any new product, any new service, even old ones, actually, which have been, you know, poorly designed, go and pick apart every possible delight or detractor and don't serve the food until the menu's perfect. So dress rehearsals are really critical for building good customer experiences. And I'd say another one is organize better. Um, there is a lot of CX, um, I don't know what you call it, CX washing in organizations where you appoint somebody they don't really own anything. Uh, they don't own the either the delivery mechanism for customer experience, or maybe they own the people who are actually explaining to the customers the experience by owning a call center, but do they actually own the experience itself? So organizations have to organize, I think in some cases better, so that those who are building it have to own the experience. It can't be somebody else's problem. So if you use a preferred channel, 
if you test and dress rehearse things really well before they go to the customer and you make the people who are designing and delivering it accountable for the customer experience, I think those are really great ways to elevate customer experience. One last question. The coolest customer experience uh, story that you have in the last number of years in your career? Oh, man. Um, oh, there, there are quite a few. Um, you know, I'm going to say this was unique and it was cool because it was unique. Uh, when I, I was one of the early kind of adopters on Spotify and I love Spotify, I still use it. I was astounded uh, in, initially to the uh, to the wrong side, but then to the plus side that uh, they only served me on Twitter. Um, so I just, you know, went on my Twitter account and talked to them and it was it was very quick, very quick, very responsive. I just had a quick question. They gave me a quick answer. I thought that was very cool. I thought that was very brave. They didn't give me a number to call and sit on hold. They didn't put, um, you know, they didn't put uh, an email string together. They, uh, I did it right there on my phone on Twitter. Uh, I thought that was very cool. And I think, you know, for me personally, because I'm stuck to my mobile phone, I find that some of the best experiences I have are through social media and through SMS. And so uh, those organizations that have skipped past some of the more expensive and cumbersome means to get to me really quickly have earned a lot more of my business. Rob, I think that's a fantastic summary of, of everything we're chatting about. Um, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, and before we go, just if, if folks that are listening to this or watching this want to get in touch with you, how can they connect with you? Well, I, you know, I have a website, uh, www.silverscion.com, S-C-I-O-N. Um, it's where, you know, people who uh, want to engage me on, on insights and strategies, I have a you know, practice that I, that I do um, where I do that for, for different businesses and startups and organizations. So that's where you can get a hold of me. That's awesome. Thanks, Rob. Have a great day. Thanks, Scott. You too. As always, thanks for tuning in. If you're a fan of One to One, be sure to give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Catch you next time.